I thank you because, and again, I know every, there's a lot of us here, um, you know, uh, different parts of our community coming together at different times throughout this morning, last night, over across the other side of the city, the, the west side campus by Lake Merced, and, and many of us just, we're all coming together, and we're just part of something far more bigger than ourselves. But I thank you because I know that some of us, you know, we, we're just starting out in our faith, and so we, there's a whole lot of things we're learning and growing. There's stuff in the Bible we don't even know about. We're just starting to explore and understand it. And it's so exciting. Others of us, we're right at the beginning. We're not even maybe, we haven't even crossed that line necessarily, but we're, we're so close and our hearts are open and we're, we're beginning to understand things we haven't seen before. And then, of course, there's a lot of us who, maybe we've been following you for a while, but we are in need always of renewal in our own hearts. And we want our love to be alive. And this was meant to be a living thing, not a dead thing, not just rules, but, but life. And I pray that you would just be among us, that our hearts would be open. I pray that right now, or that we would, many of us came in here with defensiveness or anger or a reluctance to, to maybe even, you know, come into this moment with trust. I pray that that would just be um, dropped and there'd be a degree of openness and vulnerability each one according to our own desire and willingness. But I ask for your blessing, your grace, your life. Flow among us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. God, let it be so, Lord. I want to talk about survivor, survival principles. And, um, you know, in a, you know we'll, read, we'll read Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. This will be our launching point. It's the first thing we'll put on the table. It says, Paul writes this to a group of believers in the church of Ephesus. He's writing to them about life and about wisdom. And you're going to notice this. He says in verse 15, so be careful how you live. And he uses a term that is rooted in the Older Testament, especially the book of Proverbs. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. The fool is the person in the Bible who's described as having no reference point, nor regard for God or his ways. And you are to live, as he's saying, live as a people who are God-informed and who are cultivating wisdom as a way of life. Now, how do we do that? Look what he says. He says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil, these complex days. Again, a biblical word that sometimes can be a little bit startling. But what he's really getting at is that we do live in a very um, toxic environment. If that was true in his world 2,000 years ago, it's, even, it's so much more true now. And that's not saying there's not a lot of really beautiful and good things in this world. There are. But there's a lot of stuff that's bad, too. And we often forget. You know, we read the news or we, we turn it on and look at it, and it's, it's, it's a lot of bad news. And we hear about wars and poverty and disease and what people are doing to other people. It's like senseless stuff sometimes. And you got to understand, for whatever we see, and we see a lot, enough to where some of us don't even bother. We don't even, whatever we see, I'm going to tell you this, it is a sliver of what God sees. It is like the tip of a huge glacier underneath it. I mean, it's, it, God sees so much and it breaks his heart. It's part of the reason he gave his only son to be broken for us. The reason I say that is because we live in these really complex times. These are amazing times. You know it, I know it, I think we do. I mean, the stuff that we experience on a daily basis and take for granted, whether it's a phone or some other kind of device or a way of interacting with people, honestly, would have been considered science fiction just 100 years ago. It's stunning. Technology has done amazing things. 
It's made communication and information gathering uh, you know, possible in ways that was never even conceived, really. The problem we have now is not access to information. We can get that anywhere. It's delineating the scope of that information to places where it's healthy and life-giving and relevant. That's what we have a harder time doing. What that means is the more complex our world, which is what we're living in now, the easier it is to get addicted to bad things, unhealthy things. It's, it's the fact is that, that these are times that, in their own way, they're actually kind of perilous for the soul's well-being. And we're going to need to have wis the wisdom of God if we want to live a healthy, life-giving, both relationally, emotionally, certainly spiritually. We're going to need to take seriously what the Bible tells us about how to live and function in an increasingly complex and perplexing environment that places a premium on knowing something. And you know what? Paul talks about it. Look what he says at the end of that, ver that passage there in verse 17. So in light of this opportunity, don't act thoughtlessly. What I really want you to do is not just kind of walk through life not thinking about life. Actually, he says, I, I want to challenge you, he writes, to actually wrestle and understand what the Lord's will is for you in this life. And I would take that and tailor it down even tighter and say, what is the Lord saying to you in this season of your life? What is he saying to us? You know, every season of life has its own unique opportunity. Some of us are, and you know, I like to put it this way, we need, we need to, and, we, and in every season, we, there's, a, there's a certain wisdom that we need to have functioning in our lives if we're going to maximize what God's wanting to do in our life at that time. And one of the key things is we need to discern where we actually even are. You know, are we in a, I'll use it this way, are we in a season of transition or are we in a season of position? I'm going to talk about transitional, I guess, um, seasons and positional seasons and try to make the case that there's actually a difference. And that depending on where we are, it requires a different type of wisdom. Some of us, in fact, my wife and I were talking about this because we're in that, we're in an interesting stage of our own lives. You know, um, for the first time, we really were starting to think about, wow, this is, this is a real change for us. We're heading into a change. Our, our, our children, two of them are out of, school, and I want to get ready for, for graduate school. The other one just got married. My, my younger son's finishing up college um, in about six months. Our youngest one's a sophomore. We, they were all there in the summer, but we realized when we come back home, most of them are going to be gone, and it was going to be a different experience for us. But what we were saying is, and I know I'm sharing a little bit out of my own personal life, and I don't want to overdo that, but the fact of the matter is that we were saying, you know what, we're actually heading into a transition. In fact, we looked at each other and said somewhere along the way in those, those two-plus weeks that we spent together, we said, we don't even know if we've actually spent this much time together <laughs> um, probably since the earliest days of our marriage. It's almost three decades where we said we almost are spending almost all of our time together. And... You know, it, it, we started talking about what does that mean for us and what is the Lord trying to say to us? Because clearly what we were saying was the home we go back to, this is a transitional period in our lives. Now, some of you, you know, this is our, that's our tra transition. Others of you have transitions too. Some of you are in a, in a career transition. Some are within your job. You're being transitioned into a different place of responsibility or there's the possibility that that will happen. Others of us, you know, we, we have some relational transition going on. That's always a tricky place. For still a few of us, and I, I, I guess I'm particularly attuned to those who are um, 
students beginning to enter into the workplace, but a lot of us are just starting. We're, we're like, there's a real interesting period there where you, you leave a certain stage of life and move into another that's very challenging. Others, just starting a family can be a huge shift of perspective. Your social life changes so dramatically. Okay. If we are in a season of transition, it requires a certain type of wisdom. Transitional periods require a lot of openness to readjustment and to change and to adaptability. They require us to re-examine ways that we have been and begin to think about maybe what got us here now, we're going to have to shift that around if there's going to be life in this. Because this is transition period requires us, re, in a way, resetting our room. Um, if we're going to prevail, if we're going to actually you know, have a season of expansion and growth and, and life and vibrancy, then there are times, especially in transition, when we're going to have to be really open to things being different. And part of the challenge of God's wisdom is to teach us how to do that without you know, getting you know, reckless or foolish. Now, I differentiate a season of transition when, when, you're gonna, when we have to sort of like put some things on the board. And when I say change, I mean, there might be some things that we used to do that we can't do as much. And there might be other practices that we've been neglecting that we're going, you know what, now I've got to actually focus a little bit more here. Uh, in other words, we have to really look at what things do I maybe need to attach myself to? What things do I need to detach from? What things you know, um, might I actually need to cultivate that I have been somewhat neglectful of? Because the season that we're going into is going to require an adjustment on my part. And that may not be easy. Because we get stuck. We get into a safe way of doing things. It's not that always easy to change. But that season, that transition, is requiring us to have the wisdom to be open to the new things God wants to do. And what's that reset going to look like? How am I going to operate in that framework? OK, that, that's what I'm saying. But there's another seasons where it's not like we're transitioning from a season to another play, season. Actually, the challenge is positional. We know where we are. We are in, we are in this place, this season of our lives. This is what God has. We, we, we sense this is where we're going to be for a while. How do I grow in that place? What, how, see, the, the virtues that are required, resoluteness, Resiliency, patience, persevering, even when my emotions are fluctuating up and down, when part of me wants to run away or quit, how do I stay with something? That's a very different kind of uh, wisdom that needs to be cultivated. So I want us to think about, at least initially, are, you, are we in a transitional place or are we in a positional place? If we're in a positional place, then some of the things that God's going to want to teach us and we're going to have to look at have to do with reinforcing our ability to stay with the things he's asking us to stay in. If we're in that transition, it has to do with being less fearful of new things and being attentive to details that we would otherwise not maybe pay attention to. Okay, keeping that in mind, all right? Again, the whole point of this is surviving and prevailing in complicated times and how do we do that? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about it, has a lot to say about surviving, period. You know, one of my favorite shows, well, um, I don't know if it's my favorite, one of my favorite shows, but it is a show that I have <laughs> had interest in at different times in my life. And uh, it's actually a show that's, uh, it's not Survivor, but it's called Survivor Man. I, I do like Survivor, actually, but because I like the way people... I do, I must say. I like the way that I like watching people, how they interact with other people. I learn things, a lot of things. Um, uh, but the show that I'm talking about is actually called Survivor Man. 
And this is a guy, is a guy named Les Stroud, and he's Canadian. I don't, I don't know what that has to do with it, but that's, that's, <laughs> that's what he is. And he's interesting to me because he will be, he has a team of people, and they drop him into these very remote places. And when he gets dropped in, he's only, he only has like some really basic things, and um, he, he doesn't sometimes even know. The show kind of reveals what he has, if anything. But he always has his cameras. And so he, he has no one shooting him, but he's shooting himself. So he'll have a ca one camera that's stationary that he'll set up and, in, a re in an area. Or sometimes he's walking, and he's got this like device, and it has a camera. And it's sort of walking and talking. It kind of hangs on him, and he talks. And you're, you're seeing people like me watch him, right, learn about how to survive. And so um, he, he films himself. He gets dropped in there. And then he has these principles for survival and that have always intrigued me. Because sometimes he gets dropped off in places that are so isolated, like isolated wildernesses, you know, jungles, <laughs> deserts, um, islands that are windswept without any fresh water. And then, he, and then he tells us how to survive. He shows it. Like, and, you know, sometimes he'll come across, one of the things I always love is that he'll come across, sometimes he comes across food sources. He'll say, when you're on the wilderness, oftentimes you'll come across berries. And I remember one time he gets down here and he goes, and there's like a whole cluster of different berries. And he goes, see this berry? He goes, if you eat this berry, it's really sweet and it's so nutritious for you. He goes, but if you eat this berry, which to me looked identical to the other berry, he goes, you'll die, right? And I'm going, oh, how in the world would I know the difference between that berry and that berry? There's no way. There was another time where I was going, he, he's walking around, and he's literally, I'm not, I'm not sure, he's being swarmed, right? Because he always talks about that when you're out, you need to think about, one of the first things you need to think about is shelter. Then you need to think about your water supply. And then you need to think about staying warm. And those, there's like fire. And so he has this sort of philosophy. But there was, I remember one time where he was walking out there and, and he's, he got dropped in the Canadian wilderness. And he is literally being, I just see mosquitoes everywhere, like swarms. Now, I've been a couple times chased by swarms of mosquitoes when I've been backpacking. And um, I'll tell you, in those moments when you got mosquitoes, you're breathing in mosquitoes. Uh, I mean, I don't like spraying poison on myself deep, but I'll do it to survive. And I, I've been a couple times where I've run into my tent, and I've just sat in my tent, and I can just see all the mosquitoes waiting on the mesh, saying, please come out. And I'm saying, no, I'm not coming out. You can't have me, you know? No. And, and, but this guy, this Les Stroud guy, he's out there. And I remember this one episode where he goes, he's got mosquitoes everywhere, no net, um, no repellent. No enclosure. He's just out there, and they're on, and he's going, ah, I hate mosquitoes, right? He goes, ouch, right? He goes, ouch. He goes, they, they steal my blood, you know, and they're annoying. And, and he goes, the bad news is they gorge on my blood. The good news is I've been bitten so many times over the course of these years in the wild that I, I don't even get marks or itch. I just donate blood. <laughs> <laughs> I go, oh, man. I'm glad I'm not you because I don't. I would not want that, you know. He, but he teach. What he does teach, though, is that in these challenging environments, and here's the connect. He teaches the challenging environments. Actually, there are things that we need to do to survive. And one of them is so basic, which says the first thing you do when you're in a disaster or some type of a survival situation like the ones that he sometimes is put in. He says this is like a pre-rule. He says, do your best not to panic. Don't panic. Now that's easier said than done because. I mean, don't be afraid. 
But isn't that so biblical? Really? God, Jesus continually is telling us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Don't let fear grip you. Because fear distorts our ability to see things. God has not given us a spirit of fear. But he, after that, he, said, he basically had these three assessment zones. He says, when you get down there after you, don't panic. First thing you need to do, assessment zone number one, what do you have on your person? Do you have something in your pocket? Do you have, uh, do you have like, things that you didn't even think about, coin um, in your purse that you bring? Or what do you have? What do you have on you? And then he says, that's the zone assessment number one. Calm down. Think about what you have. Zone assessment number two. Within the reach of where you are, look around and see if there's something. It could even be a, like a plastic bottle. What is around you that might help you? Maybe you just have very little ability to maneuver. And then he says, and then assessment zone number three is what can you get to with a very short walk, but not, but, but stay, it's short. What is in the vicinity of you with only a short walk. Because so, he says a lot of times what happens is people start looking for things and they end up getting actually even more lost. So he talked about these survival principles and it got me thinking and I was saying, wow, Lord, you know, it's the same way you have principles for us to live by. And that drew me to a passage of scripture that I want us to look at and I see if you can identify some of the survival principles spiritually that were being given in Hebrews 12. Look at this, verse 14 through 16. It says, work at, at living in peace. Look at it. It says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. And look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. And then watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you and corrupts a lot of people, many. And then he says this rather obscure statement, the writer of Hebrews does. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau. Some of us don't even know who Esau is. Some of us do. Esau was the twin brother of a man named Jacob. Jacob's name is ultimately changed to Israel. Esau's grandfather was Abraham. His father was Isaac. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah. Rebekah had two sons, two twins. One, the first one, they came out real close together was Esau. The second one was Jacob. We'll talk about that in a moment. There's a principle here that he's getting at. But the first principle that is just quickly alluded to that I want to put up, and it's so important for us when it comes to the wisely lived life and spiritually flourishing and surviving. It's just, it just seems so simple, but I'm just put it up this way. Seek peace with others. Choose to be a peaceable person. Some of us are far more combative than we should be. I think earlier on in my life, I probably was more combative than I needed to be. You know, I loved to get in discussions about the Lord with people and was always getting into arguments. <laughs> I would, I would. And that old saying, um, a man convinced against his will is unconvinced still. I probably, that should be my motto, you know, I was walking around all the time, you know. I'm gonna, it's not about winning an argument. A lot of us, a lot of us, we are too edgy. I was talking to someone and I said, I'm gonna give you an honest assessment of how you can improve yourself as a leader. I said, this is my opinion. Um, I care about you, but I think you need to work on, and it's just, you know, I have stuff I need to work on, but I said, in your case, one of the things that will help you grow is that I think you need to pay attention to your moodiness. Because when your ups and downs are so pronounced, it creates a distrust with people. People have a hard time 
knowing who is going to show up at what time or on what day. And that creates, and I knew that personally because I remember I grew up in an environment where a, you know, I grew up around someone who had a short temper. And so, but it, but it was not a predictable environment. So it was like walk, when you come to your house, some of you know this, if you come to your house and it's like you're, you're walking, but you don't know where the trip wires are, but you know there's somewhere. And so that, what that does is it, 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 it is the opposite of a happy place. Because happiness does not flourish in such a tenuous position when we're afraid if the wrong thing is said, somebody's going to explode. Or depending on a mood someone has, this thing's going to escalate. And see, the Lord, hear me out. Some of us, that's what we grew up around. And when the heat is on, that's what we do. Some of us become aggressive. Some of us escalate. Some of us are very defensive. We become combative. We say things or we hold things in and feel it. And we shut down. I don't know what I would. I don't know why we. Well, you know what I'm going to say this? The Lord wants us to be peacemakers and peacekeepers. And that one of the ways to live and flourish, because listen, so much of our tension in life is connected to relationships and conflict. It takes a physical toll on us, certainly an emotional toll. God wants us to be a people who cultivate peace at work. No, don't. We, at, in our homes, you know, can we offer respect and regard? Can we admit at times when we're wrong or at least work through things without creating, you know, an atomic war? where words are said that aren't even meant, but by the time we're done, we've damped, done so much damage in our anger. Be angry and sin not. That is, learn to walk that thing through properly. Not only peace is, peace is not only the absence of strife. Biblically, when the Bible talks about peace, it takes it one step further. It's not only the absence of strife. It's actually the cultivation of wholeness. So it has to do with being an advocate of a life-giving environment. Can we do that? Can we do that at our jobs? Can we do that increasingly um, in our personal lives, in our friendships? Are we cultivating peace as a way of being? This is important. Are we asking the Lord to help us? Then there, and that's connected to the other part. Look at it. What is it? For those, he talks about, and work at living a holy life. You see that phrase? That's, that's the reminder of the second piece here, which is not only are we going to seek to live at peace with others, but we need to seek to live at peace with God, which means we need to acquaint ourselves. That's number two. We need to acquaint ourselves, seek to live at peace with God. We need to acquaint ourselves with his word. If we don't know who he is and what he wants us to do, we won't be able to do it. Like, for example, I was talking to someone and thinking about it a lot. I said, you know, someone was saying, well, this is how Jesus is. And I was saying, well, that's half of who Jesus is. They said, well, he's, Jesus is only about love. I said, well, he is about love. He is the epitome of love, but he's a lot more than that. Well, I kind of see my theology, this is the person, built around the Good Samaritan. And I said, well, that's a good story Jesus gave. But if you want to be honest about what he taught us, he was full of grace and truth. The same Jesus who said he had a big room for people to come and to be, experience his love also, also held himself to a highly integrous position. He was not. He was a moral man. On the one hand, he talked about things like a parable like the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son, about loving and about how that's so important that is. On the other hand, he talked about how we're all accountable to God for the way we live in. And there is a judgment to, that we will all have to face God around. That's both sides are true. The same woman that was thrown at his feet that he said to her in front of everybody, who the person without sin, you throw the first stone in, 
woman, I don't condemn you. That same woman, he said to her, don't fi finish the story to her, but go and sin no more. We cannot disconnect that. Jesus said, he who hears or she who hears these words of mine and does them, this is the person I will liken unto a wise man, a wise woman. That's wisdom is that when the storms hit, your, house, your life is built on a rock. It's not picking and choosing. That's, see, there are times, listen, just, uh, so there are times when following Jesus will mean going actually against the grain of culture. It's not always just going with the flow. Every now and then, we will be asked, maybe on our jobs, in our own personal life, if you will follow me, take up your cross. See, that's also true. Pursue peace with God. Thirdly, though, look at it. That next verse. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Do you know what that's telling us? Number three is telling us that, uh, that we are to live with an eye for the safety and the well-being of others. And I emphasize safety. In other words, you and I are to be a people who cultivate, the wisely lived life cultivates an atmosphere where the grace of God flows easily. It's not judgmental. It's not mean-spirited. True. It doesn't mean it doesn't stand for anything. But what it is is it creates an atmosphere that is extremely attentive to the well-being of others. Are there people that God's placing in our lives that we are to love well? And what, would that look, what does that look like? And why is that so important? Why, how is this different than the front one? The first one has to do with how we relate how we choose to either escalate or de-escalate conflict in our lives, but this one has to do with being a person who is intentional about being a blesser. Like, I am looking for opportunities to love and protect people. I am a grace giver, and I want to honor God by loving people better in my life and protecting them when I see them in dangerous places. That means I'm going to risk at times putting myself out for someone, and I'm going to contend for them because I care. I care. And they mean something to me. And that we feel like the Lord has given them to us. In other words, it's not just about being concerned about our own spiritual well-being, which is huge. It means I'm also thinking about, are there other people in my life that God wants me to be paying attention to for their well-being? And who are they? If, if, if we should have people in our lives that we could say, these are, these are people that God has given me to truly seek to protect and to help them follow, follow him, you, Lord, better? And am, I, am I being vigilant for their welfare? Am I paying attention? Am I trying to be an arm of grace and life to them? You see? And then, okay, now the first three, very positive. Look at the next one. What is it? What is it? It's a negative. What are we not to do? The wise who live life, a survivor principle in life, something that allows us to negotiate challenging places. What does he say? Don't do. You can see it. Guard against bitterness. Allowing a root of bitterness to take hold in our heart. Very important. Because it usually starts with a, a slight or an offense or a wound. Um, a lot of times what happens is a, a bitter root comes in when we allow disappointment. Disappointment to grow into resentment. I heard one writer put it, when we, when we nurse grudges over past hurts, we start like, envisioning so when a person's name comes up we're bothered and that thing gets, that thing gets you know what that happened to me I was I, I felt like the, you know I say Lord I felt like the Lord said to me you better watch that because when the person's name was, I was like I had a little bit it kind of was kind of I could tell that I, I didn't have to have a good feeling that came out there 
I felt like the Lord was saying, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Seek to live without malice. And then he said, well, what if someone did this? You know what? That's why Jesus continually talked about power of forgiveness. And the main, we've, this has become such a part of our discourse, but when we forgive, that's why he talked about when Peter said, how many times should I forgive, Lord? Seven times. He says, no, I don't say seven. Seven times, 70. Forgiveness as a way of life. There are some things that forgiveness needs to be applied, like medicine. Just whenever that thing comes back up, starts reemerging in us, we've got to, God, help me. You forgave me. Help me to forgive. Because the person we're really helping is, honestly, is ourselves. Because if we let that thing go sometimes, that becomes the definition of who we are. And now I've got bitterness in my heart. And that, that thing is aggressive. And it grows. It's like a, a weed. It grows. Like a, it, 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 it is amazingly resilient and powerful. And when we allow that to sort of dominate our life, everything, you know what the Bible is saying? Many are affected. That affects all of our relationships. So that's why the Bible talks about guarding our heart, making sure that we're not walking out offended with unresolved anger. As I learned, the Lord wants to teach us how to grow through that, how to live in his life how to keep our hearts free. I'm not saying bad things don't happen. I'm not saying there isn't a time to grieve, but there are times when the Lord is just saying, you can't keep living in captive, like a captive to that. I've come to set you free. And don't, or when the Lord is saying to us, don't let that thing, don't let that thing in you get rooted. You need to pay attention to that. Pay attention to that. And then and the last thing we'll say, is you can see it, the one I alluded to, the Esau principle, number five. Remember the Esau principle. What is that? He talks about it here. Esau, who traded his birthright, look at that, as a firstborn son for a single meal. The Esau principle is fascinating. He's actually, the writer of Hebrews is going back to an incident that occurs in Genesis 25. Remember I mentioned that Esau and Jacob were twin brothers. Esau comes out of the womb first. As a result, in that culture, he is the one with the birthright, the blessing. The guy with the birthright, the firstborn son, even though they came out basically the same time, Esau had it. And that meant that he had not only a double portion of the, of the material blessing, but he had something else. There was a spiritual blessing that went with that, that place. It was, remember, from Abraham, and it was even more, Abraham to Isaac. And Isaac was going to give it to Esau, not Jacob. But Jacob wanted that blessing so bad. But Esau had it, but Esau didn't seem to care about it. And in fact... Look at what happens here, and I just will rapidly move through that. Look at verse 24 to 34. Look at, look at Genesis 25. Just, we'll end with this piece. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, this is, that would be Rebecca, the, the mother. Indeed, there were twins in her womb, and the first one came out. He kind of, he had red, he was red, and he was like a, that <laughs> was a way to describe it. He was like a hairy garment all over, and they called his name Esau, because Esau means hairy. So he got his name because when he came out, he had an exceptional amount of hair on him. But afterwards, his brother comes out, and the Bible tells us that he was actually, as he came out of the womb, kind of grabbing or gripping or seeking to grip the, the heel of his brother. And so, he, so they named him Jacob, supplanter, or one who seeks. See? 
And, and, and it was interesting. And then we're told that Isaac was 60 years old when, when his wife, Rebecca, bore them. And, and then we're told the boys grew. Esau, interesting, two brothers, twins, but emerging with very different demeanors and kind of ways of enjoying life. Um, Esau, we're told here, was a, a hunter. He was a skillful hunter. He was a good hunter. He was a man of the field. He was athletic. It's implied kind of an outdoorsman, um, man of the field. But his, Jacob, we're told, in contrast, was more of a mild man. He, he preferred not to live in the field. He wasn't an outdoorsman. He liked to live in the tents. He, was, he liked to be at home. The, the implication is he was a gardener and, and, and a, someone who enjoyed cooking as well. As a result, this highly dysfunctional family, which we could do a whole study on the highly dysfunctional family, <laughs> Isaac has a clear favorite. It's Esau. One of the reasons is Isaac loves the fact that when Esau goes hunting, he brings him back venison. He gives him this great meal. He just loved his son, the hunter. But Rebecca, she has her own bias and is towards Jacob. And you can imagine this household where you've got favorites on both sides. And she wants her son Jacob to be the one who gets the blessing. And there's this whole, all kinds of interest. But the bottom line, it, the particular reference in Hebrews 12 is referring to what we're about to look at. It says, now, there was this one day when Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field. He had been out all day. He was tired. He was hungry. He was weary. Esau said to Jacob, oh, you're making that red stew again. Can you feed me with that, oh, that red stew that you make all the time? It must be like a, a lentil, red lentil soup. And he says, because I'm so tired and hungry. And, and they said they gave him the nickname Edom, which means red, by the way. And Jacob said, absolutely, but just sell me your birthright. <laughs> by the way, I think we all understand, a good chef has a lot of power. <laughs> I, I, I have two, I mentioned to you, I have the four kids, we have four kids. The, 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 our, oldest son, our oldest one is my son, Caleb, and my youngest son, Jacob, is, his name is Jacob. He's in the number three slot. And he... They, they both, here's the thing, they both were kind of, they're both kind of athletic in their own way. Caleb was soccer, Jacob defying all genetic um, <laughs> predictions, ended up being a football player, right? If you look at his mom and me, that's the last thing we thought it would have been. But here's the deal. This summer I came in and I realized quickly that my family had a new favorite show, or a new favorite channel. Because uh, I would come in, and I'd think they're going to be watching the sports every now and then. They were all gathered together at the early part of the summer, and they'd be watching the Food Channel. <laughs> and some of you are going, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, I get that. And they'd be watching this one show called Chopped. And they this show called Chopped. They bring together these people, these people out there who are, you know, different levels of skill, and they they're given these ingredients, mystery ingredients. Open up, <laughs> look at it, pull them out. Now create magic meals, right? And so it's so hilarious to me because then my son Jacob's watching this, and Caleb's, but Jacob comes up. He is, I never even knew he had a side to him. He goes, as the show ends, he goes, that's it. He goes, I'm going upstairs, right? And so he's going upstairs, I'm going to make a meal, right? <laughs> and he goes, I'm going to pull out whatever ingredients I pull out. That's what I'm making. And so he's going, it's going to be great, right? So he's making his meal, and he, the whole, he did this more than a few times. And he'd say, come on, Dad. What do you think? I'm hungry right now. Just, I, I, you know, 
no, you gotta try it. He's very persistent, this one. He like, he's like, he pushes me all the time. Like, come on, come on. You're gonna love it, you're gonna like it. He's really like, all right, I'll try it. Most of the time it wasn't that good, actually. I'll tell you that <laughs> right now. But the real Jacob, he was good. And Esau said, I would love to have some of that stew you just made that you know I love. And Jacob says, just tell me your birthright. You can have all you want. Esau says, okay. Give me my food. Because if I don't eat right now, I'm going to die anyway. Now, in Esau's mind, maybe he's thinking, it doesn't matter if I tell him I'm selling him my birthright. My dad's going to give me the blessing anyway. But in Jacob's mind, it's real serious because he says, no, I mean it. You swear to me right now, you make an oath. I get the birthright. Fine. Look what he says here. Jacob said, swear to me of this day, as this day. And he swore to him, and he told Jacob his birthright. Fine, whatever. Jacob arose, gave, gave Esau bread and stew of lentils, and, they, and then he ate and he drank, and he arose, and he went his way. And the Bible says, then Esau despised. That is, he did not think highly of what had been a gift for him. He despised his birthright. I didn't think, ah! What is the writer in Hebrews? What is the Esau principle? We'll put it up, and we'll leave it here. The Esau principle has to do with this whole idea of, of being impulsive, right? And, and be, being someone who just basically goes for the moment and is not really thinking through the implications of what is actually going to be implied by the decision that is being made. We begin to treat casually, in his case, the spiritual blessing that he just treated so casually. It's like, it was a, he was a very earthy man. Oh, so it's no big deal. Hey, fine, whatever. You know, it'll all work out. But just, I just want to eat. I just want to eat. Very impulsive. Whenever we're driven by our impulses like that, we are not living the wise life because what that's going to end up doing is going to cost us. And you know what it costs us? Not only, does it can, not only can we get ourselves in real trouble that way, but what it's going to ultimately cost us, listen, just it'll cost us God's best blessing for our lives. And a lot of times when we're under the gun like that, I know in my life, when it, we feel like, I just want to do it. And we need to be really careful there because a lot, of, so much good can be undone by just having a casual approach to something that God said is sacred in your life. And we're not honoring it as a sacred thing. And I found that for me sometimes the best thing I could do is sometimes like Joseph in the Older Testament, you just gotta, I just gotta get out of here. Or I gotta call somebody up. I gotta bring someone in the conversation. That's what we talk about small groups. That's what we talk about the blessing of accountability. We talk about how the Christian life is never meant to be lived isolated because none of us are that good. We're not, we all have weaknesses, vulnerabilities, and tendencies to cave in when the right buttons are pushed. For some of us, it's when we're lonely. For some of us, it's when we're depressed. For some of us, it's when we feel like we're being cheated out of something. Or some of us, when we feel like, you know what, does it really matter anyway? I just, you know, I just kind of want to go with it. And we become reckless and impulsive, and we do things that damage our soul. Sometimes they have significant consequence because we get entrapped by it. Other times, it's just honestly, it's just hurting, our, hurting us spiritually. Why do I need to do that? And we can become addicted to things that we don't even really like. And they hurt us. And they undermine our ability to love and to follow God and to prevail in this world of ours, which is quite complicated. Remember, there's always going to be, and I'll use it in this sense, always going to be a Jacob to take advantage of an Esau, playing on certain basic impulses 
to exploit that to an advantage. That's our culture, actually. And if we're going to live the wise life, at least part of it, then we're going to need to be aware of that and govern ourselves well so we can love better and leave a better legacy behind us. Okay? I'm going to pray. We're going to have our time of giving, and we got that song that connects. Let me pray specifically for all of us. And Lord, I want to thank you again for the privilege of being able to talk about you, look at your words, your wisdom. I pray life. I pray for some of us that we're maybe even now experiencing conflict. We would seek peace. I pray that some of us are living disconnected. We would seek to live more in alignment with you. Others of us, Lord, maybe we are feeling that there are some things we need to surrender lest they turn into bitterness in our lives. And others of us, Lord, you want us to have a burden in our heart that is bigger than ourselves. But for other of us, others of us, the real struggle has to do in our survival is dependent on it. It's choosing not to treat lightly the things that you've done in our lives and to not just go with our impulses, but to seek to submit, Lord, to you in a way that even maybe brings other people into our conversations and into our life so that we can pursue together the things that we know, the life that you have for us, the birthright you have for us. Pray that blessing. I thank you. You love us even when we fail, but you call us, Lord, to succeed. And I pray that we would walk with you. So I pray this blessing. Bless our closing minutes. Let us not be in a hurry.